When I started my technology career with Pacific Telephone in 1981, I worked initially in the Network Operations Control Center, the NOCC. It was on a side street off market in San Francisco, and it was basically a highly secure data center. Eventually, though, as computer operations and IT became an increasingly important part of running the telephone network, they decided that they needed to change things up a bit. They also had the problem of being the occupants of no fewer than 60 office buildings in downtown San Francisco, which was, of course, pricey. So they decided to leave the city behind and move out to the Burbs, specifically the San Ramon Valley, over in the East Bay, south of Berkeley and Oakland and inland a ways. There they built an extraordinary new corporate headquarters building. By the mid-1980s, AT&T had been broken up by the Justice Department, and Pacific Telephone had become Pacific Bell. San Ramon was the company's new home. I was one of 7,000 employees who were initially moved into the new building, which is built like a big X. And when I say big, each arm of the X is a half mile long. It's huge. And it's beautiful. The building is landscaped to perfection with rolling hills, walking trails, low-growing native plants, and three lakes, 14 acres of them in all, that add to the beauty of the complex and serve ingeniously as part of the computer cooling plant. Hot water from the building's computer center is circulated through a complex pipe system out to the largest of the lakes, where it squirts into the air in great dandelion puffs from the heads of six-foot pipes that rise mysteriously from beneath the surface. As it drifts back down to the water's surface, it cools and therefore has no ecological impact on their critters that live in the lake. Not long after I moved to San Ramon, I wrote an essay about the place. It was in response to the behavior of a few of the other residents of the complex, and I'd like to share the essay with you here. As you might imagine, there was a a lot of pride involved with the San Ramon facility, and when the contractors completed this modern-day Babylon, they presented the company with a gift. Two mated pairs of swans, two white, two black, as a costly thank you for allowing them to be part of the project. The swans were the crowning touch to the two small lakes that front the building, adding grace and poise and that little touch of panache that makes the place unique. Little did anyone know that these swans would develop a taste for human flesh. An anthropologist or student of human behavior would have a field day with what goes on here during rush hour. The windows of the building are lined with employees who've made it past the swans and now stand like Romans at the rampart, ready to give thumbs up or thumbs down to the next poor soul who has to run that very same gauntlet. For people on the ground, there's a powerful but ludicrous desire to maintain some semblance of dignity in three-piece suit and briefcase while being chased by a honking, hissing, biting swan roughly the size of a Cessna. So far, no one has put to functional use the marked resemblance between a swan and a football, but it's only a matter of time. Blam! Fifty yards down lake. Intentional foul. As one might expect, there are the well-meaning swan savers who attempt to detour the errant birds back to the lake 
from the massive front porch of the building where they lie in wait for unsuspecting visitors. Shoo, they say. Back to the water, they say. Kind words for murderous birds. The careful observer will also notice the stainless steel clipboard poised like a medieval battle axe behind their backs. You can't be too careful. The folks who work in the building and who have to run the gauntlet on a daily basis have adopted interesting methods to survive the traverse. There's a perverse sort of pleasure in watching them as they approach the head of the cement walkway that divides the two smaller lakes for the long walk to work and safety. The swans you see have built nests on either side of the walkway and have therefore taken ownership of it. You will not pass, they seem to say. The approach begins with a scan of the horizon. Corporate strategic planners do particularly well here. What are the obstacles, the swans, between me and the goal, the front door of the building? Thus is charted the course. As they approach the walkway, challengers gird their armor, shoes tied tightly. God help you if a shoe should come untied during the next few moments. Coat buttoned, especially between waist and knees. Briefcase carried in the hand closest to the attacker. Battle shield, holy order of Samsonite. The sidewalk crosses what might be described as a dike between the two small lakes that are patrolled by the killer swans. It might also be described as a drawbridge between the wasteland and the keep. As far as a wasteland goes, the walkway certainly qualifies. There's waste all over the sidewalk. White waste. Lots of white waste. If they were to look closely, corporate scatologists would no doubt see bits of men's warehouse and London fog mixed in with the mess. Try not to notice that the volume of the droppings is roughly what you might expect to come out of a cracked crankcase, not the north end of a southbound duck. Halfway across the land bridge, the interloper has accelerated to an optimal speed. This speed is based on two critical factors. It's hopefully faster than standard swan attack speed, but not so fast that flight is obvious to the Romans in the stands. There's nothing quite so ridiculous looking as a business-suited, briefcase-carrying runner being chased by a rabid swan trying for all the world to look dignified. With goal finally in sight, the challenger reaches the green glass doors and dives for cover, having made it once again. Swelled of head and chest and with back ramrod straight, our paladin heads off to meet the challenges of the day. And this is where human nature rears its curious, ugly head. Having retired Samsonite shield and botany 500 breastplate to the cubicle, and now fortified with coffee, our hero heads straight to the window to take righteous position along the ramparts with thumb extended and at the ready to pass judgment on the next challenger. Oh, fickle human, how well prepared you are for life in the business world. And you thought working for the telephone company was boring. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, 
I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.